0: Tena koutou katoa, kotikupu tuatahi, katuku kito tatu kaenga koera te timitanga, miti fakamutanga o na mia katoa, Gororia ki te nui tirangi. mongorongo ki runga ki o te Fakaru pai ki na tangata katoa. Greetings to you all. Our first word is to God, the Maker of heaven and earth. And also one who brings peace to us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Ete ariki, whakarongo mai ra, kiya matu. Ete ariki, ti mai ra, Kiamatu. matu. Tenai matu o tamariki. E fakopono anamatu, Kia koi. Te matua ti tamaiti A. tapu e. Te matua. Titamiti Wairua Tapu e. Timatua te Titamiti te Wairua Tapu E. Amen. Lord hear us. Lord, behold us. Here we are, your children, all, all of us believing in you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I love so much about Curate Church, and the thing that I love more than even you guys, and I think you're pretty neat, is that, as theologians would say, we are very Christocentric. We we have centred our belief, our trust, our life on Jesus. And today, what we're going to be doing is continuing that. Because rightly here, we remember at communion, we remember in our worship, what Jesus has done for us. We know that without him salvation is impossible. And so when he was nailed to the cross for our sins, we could he died that we might have life. And not just have life, but have it to the fullness or abundantly. And so today we're going to continue the story of Jesus into an area which you may not be entirely familiar with, or as somebody who's already told me this morning, they had never really thought about it quite in that same way. What we're asking the question today is, what happened when Jesus ascended back into heaven? We know he rose from the dead, but then he ascended back into heaven. And we're going to look at the ascension, and we're going to look at what Jesus is doing now today. Jesus is doing something now. The work of Christ started with his conception. And I love the reading in Luke. Nathan, that's one of my favourite passages. Particularly the moment of the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb, where the paternity of Jesus came from God by the Holy Spirit so that the one who was going to be born would be the Son of God. But the maternity... The full humanity of Jesus came through Mary. And so we have this person who is unique and will never be another one, one who was 100% divine and yet 100% human. And I guess we're going to ask the question, what happened to the human being? Where is Jesus now? What is he doing Today, And we're going to find there are six things that the ascension has given to us, or more correctly, that Jesus has given to us through the ascension. So the, the, the message is called the power of the ascension of Jesus. You know, when we're taking communion... Remember a few weeks ago, Nathan, the Anglican vicar, he, he, he spoke. And I really love Anglican theology, as my students in Curate College would know. I love Anglican theology around communion because it's not just a remembrance. They believe that when they take it, a spiritual dimension is transferred through the elements that brings the power of God by the Spirit into our lives if we want to partake of it. And so today, what we're going to be looking at is the power that is given to us through the ascension. Now, my first slide is a book, and you'll say, what the heck is this? The Evangelical Theology by Michael Bird. I've done this for two reasons. A, if those of you who who just really would love a neat theology book that you don't need a thesaurus with uh, to read, this is a brilliant book. But I'm also using it, Um, as a guide for us today, so that you can see that what I'm going to be sharing today is not something that I've just made up, which is really important when a preacher preaches, that it's not just some idea. And so we're going to be totally guided by Scripture. In fact, what we're going to be sharing today is absolute Christian orthodoxy. What do I mean by that? I mean by the central values and beliefs of the Christian church. How do we know that? It's because it comes from Scripture. Secondly, it is the the historical record of the church in the first five hundred years of the church, the discussions about particularly about who was Jesus really came to a conclusion. And in the great creeds of the church, like the Nicene Creed, the statements of of faith that we believe in so much were formed. And all of this, what we're going to be speaking about today, is reflected in those creeds. Our first thing we want to first slide we want to have a look at is what is the ascension of Jesus? Well you we will probably all know the story. Jesus speaking at the end of Luke after the resurrection, he said this I, that's Jesus, am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. Now, just a cue. That's the first thing that Jesus was going to do after he ascended. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. We're going to have a few quotes from Michael Bird, and here's our first one. What he's talking about is the, that the ascension is a transition from Jesus' life on earth, and particularly his resurrection appearances, to his ascension into heaven. So it's a transition. The ascension is an important transition for various aspects of the works Work of Christ. The ascension marks the end of the resurrection appearances and the beginning of Jesus' session as the Father's vice regent. Just as the ascension is differentiated from the resurrection, so too is the ascension differentiated from Jesus' session. The session is what Jesus is doing now. As he sits at God's right hand in glory until the day of his return to earth. Terrible theological joke. Why does God have to use his left hand? Because Jesus is sitting on his right hand. No, that was terrible. That was really bad. That's about as good as we can come up with in theology. <laughs> terrible, eh? And my old students go, Ugh. not another one. So, our first, the first of the six. Things that are important, the the, the power of the ascension comes into our lives. There are six things that, although Bird mentioned seven, one of them is too complex. We're just going to make it six for the sake of today, so otherwise we'd be here for a while. The the, the very first thing that um, was achieved, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he ascended to heaven so that he, the Father, can send the Holy Spirit to his followers. And Jesus said in in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands. There's always a catch with Jesus, isn't there? He never just says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. You know, and Jesus' commands are pretty simple. We should love one another. Really simple. That's the only command he gives us. Love God, love each other, love your neighbor. Pretty boring stuff, isn't it? If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Jesus had just told his disciples that he was going to leave them and he was going back to the Father, and they were a bit scared. But he said, Look, it's okay. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you one who is just like me, another advocate, another counselor, just like me. But the difference is, is that he's not just going to come and be with you like I am. He is going to be in you forever. And so when Jesus ascended, that was the cue for the Holy Spirit to fall on the world. And in a few days later, we know what happened in Acts chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born with the power of the Spirit coming on the believers. Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke, and if you're reading the Gospel of Luke, you, you've got to read the book of Acts as well. It's a continuation, like a part one, part two. But in Acts 1 8, Luke says, quoting Jesus, but you, in other words, Believers will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. By far the most important thing the ascension earned and brought for us is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it would be impossible for us to be saved to be born again if it wasn't by the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? We know that from experience, but the Scripture talks about us being born again by the Holy Spirit. So we'd be still lost in our sins if Jesus had not sent the Spirit. The purpose of the Spirit is to do Jesus' work on earth to build the kingdom of God till the day Jesus returns. Everything that happens to a believer on earth happens by and through the work of the Spirit. Everything. And the most important thing that Jesus does to help believers, it helps us to worship Jesus to bring glory to Jesus. And so when we're worshipping, we're going, oh, Jesus, we're worshipping Jesus. What's actually happening is the Spirit, the Spirit of God in you is bringing the, your worship because you were born again by His Spirit to heaven. And that's actually what happened. So the work of the Spirit is critical. We could not have the church. We couldn't have anything. We could not have salvation. If Jesus died and rose again and the Holy Spirit did not come, we'd still be stuck. But the Spirit of God lives in us and lives through us and works through us. And it's by far the most important thing that happened as a result of the ascension. The second thing is that Jesus' ascension means that he is exalted to God's right hand and given absolute divine authority. One of the best places we can read about this is in the final moments of the life of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. As he was being stoned to death, just before he passed from this life to the next, he saw in a vision, and this is what he said. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, you know, isn't this interesting? At this time of great need, it'd be really easy as a human being to go, don't throw those stones or boulders, or whatever that they were doing. I've heard all sorts of horrible stories how gruesome stoning was. But he was full of the Holy Spirit. I often love to hear about the transitions of Christians who die, for, go from this life to the next with the presence of Jesus by the Spirit. It's beautiful. But this is, this is Stephen's account. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and what did he see? He saw the glory of God and Jesus. He recognised him immediately. He recognised Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus' favourite title he took for himself was the Son of Man, which was his I, which is his nod to his humanity. The hardest thing to understand about Jesus, this person who was absolutely divine, is also a complete human being, just like you and me. And there are many instances in Scripture when you see his humanity just about overtaking his divinity. In the garden of in the garden of Gethsemane, when he was crying to the Lord, he would like drops of blood were forming on him, and he said, "Father, if it's possible." I'm just a person. I don't want this to happen. I know it's going to be horrible. If there's any way you can take this away from me, can you do that? But not what I want, Father, but what you want. And so we see many times Jesus' humanity. And the hardest thing that we've got to deal with, it's very easy for us to worship Jesus as God, as our divine King and Lord, but we also have to deal with the, same, with the truth that Jesus was also a complete human being, just like you and me. There was only one, one exception, one difference. He was without sin. Jesus not only reigns with God, but has been given all authority over the universe. The book of Hebrews, which we'll look at a bit today, a few quotes, is one of my favourite books in the Bible. If you were a literary expert and you weren't a believer, you just looked at the literature of the New Testament, you would say the book of Hebrews is like the Himalayas. Maybe Romans chapter 8 eight would, 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 would be pretty much up there, but the book of Hebrews is so eloquently written. It's actually a sermon delivered to Jewish believers to get them to focus on the new high priest because the old priesthood and the sacrifices of the Old Testament have gone and we now have a new permanent high priest, Jesus Christ, who has gone through the heavens. And he is expose, exp, explaining that with incredible scripture from the Old Testament, it's a masterful thing. And this is what it says right at the beginning. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God And, and here's the important point in this discussion, he sustains everything by the power, mighty power of his command. Jesus has been given absolute divine authority over the universe, over heaven, over earth, over our lives. And even the people who refuse to bow a knee to Jesus, it says tragically, that there will be a time that's coming, coming that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, whether you want to or not, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The second thing which, or the, 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 sorry, the third um, important uh, benefit, if you like, that Jesus' ascension has given to us is that the ascension demonstrates That God has placed Jesus, a glorified human, as vice-regent of the universe. If you ever wanted one really nice little pithy um, statement from Scripture on the person of Jesus, it's Colossians 2, verse 9. And it says this, "For For in Christ lives all the fullness of God. So, What what, what the writer, which is Paul, is saying is everything that is God is in Christ. Or another way of saying there is nothing of God that is not in Christ. Everything that God is, Christ is because he's 100% God. But what does the next few words say? In a human body. Yeah, there's no one like Jesus, I can tell you. Michael Bird again, the pre-existent Son of God was incarnated, that's conceived in Mary, as a human being. This reading here might just challenge you a bit. The man Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus was resurrected, he was still God incarnate, except now he had a glorified human body. He did not cease to be human. He did not shed his human shell like someone taking off a gorilla suit and and resuming his pre-incarnate life as a luminous and angelic being. No, he retains his glorified humanity for the rest of eternity. In other words, there is now a human at the helm of the universe. What is more, we worship an Aramaic-speaking, brown-skinned, scarred and circumcised Jewish man at the Father's right hand. You see, Jesus' humanity didn't disappear. Mary had a child and the child was a human being, just happened to be God as well. And that body, that person of Jesus can never disappear and it's the interesting thing is that in, in Paul's writing, particularly in, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's the passage on the resurrection. He says this, is that he, Paul said that some of you are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead, that the dead are not raised. And Paul says this, if Jesus did not rise, um, rise from the dead, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, you are still in your sins, but Jesus has been risen from the dead, and so we will be. We will also be raised from the dead. And at the end of that passage, Paul says, "Victory, death! Oh, death! Where is your victory? Death! Oh, death! Where is your sting? It's gone because Christ has risen." we will also be risen. Jesus' human body was was resurrected, ascended into heaven and glorified. He is still 100% God, but he is also 100% human. And what happened to Jesus will also happen to us at the resurrection of the dead. In fact, one of the greatest principles in Scripture is that everything happened to Jesus will happen to us. You know, you also died. Jesus died. You died. Romans chapter 6 talks about baptism as a burial, as a death and a burial. We have been baptised into the death of Christ. When we became Christians, we spiritually died. And because of that, we are now permanently united with Jesus in his life. So just as he rose from the dead, we are also united with him. Isn't that fantastic? The fourth benefit from, of, the, uh, of the ascension, and I've already alluded to it, believers share in the reign of Christ by virtue of their union with Christ. We looked at this little passage in Colossians chapter 2. Now we'll read the rest of it. For in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in a human body. So, therefore, you are also complete through your union with Christ who is head over every ruler and authority. When we become born again, we are literally united into Christ. And so our life has now gone. We are hidden in Christ. The Bible talks of us being aliens and strangers on this earth. We are died and we now live in Christ. So we are united now with Christ. In fact, one of the nicest passages is Romans chapter 8, which starts off and it builds up like a crescendo, like an orchestra building up. It starts off with, let's not be glum because therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on to say, for those who are led by by the Spirit of God, They are the children of God. So not only should we not be condemned, but we are now children of God. But that's not it. Because a child is also an heir. See, when you are born, you become an heir immediately. When we are born again, we're not just a child of God. We become an heir with with God. And in fact, Paul says we are co-heirs with Christ. So, everything that happened to Christ will happen to us. We will have new and glorified bodies. I don't know what bits and pieces we. I don't know. It'll be pretty cool. It'll be cool. In Ephesians 3, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Reading Michael Bird, as a result, this is the confidence. We have an approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And someone asked me after the meeting, how do we know what is the will of God? And I said, look, it's the wrong question. Who are you? I'm a child of God. Who's living in you? The Holy Spirit. Done. Every prayer that you have is by the will of God. Because even if you haven't got it right... The Holy Spirit's going to go, well, sorry, Luke, it's not 100% like that, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that. I'll make that prayer perfect, and I'll take that to Jesus who intercedes on our behalf. If you're a believer, you have, exact, you have total confidence that your prayers are in the will of God, um, and that's just cool. With the, um, yeah, with the ascension and exaltation of Jesus, the door is open the door, the door into the presence of God is permanently open for us. You know, as Christians, I think one of, the, one of the lies that the enemy brings us is that just because circumstances may not be great, they may not be ideal, it's your circumstances may not be what you want for your life as a result of someone else's choices or your own choices or whatever, nobody's choices. But we need to understand that the door to God is permanently open. He is not going to shut us out for any reason. It's always open. We always have access. Believers have a brazen confidence, a brazen confidence to presume upon God's favour and a shameless sense of security that God's door is all, to them always stands open. Was as Tim Keller tweeted, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3am for a glass of water is, I'm going to put your child. <laughs> I remember that. Dad, I'm thirsty. But it's interesting, you know, a child comes with, that's why Jesus says we have to come with childlike faith. Father, I know it's three o'clock in the morning, but I really need a glass of water. Okay, I hear you. It's, the door is never closed. We can confidently access God because of our union with Christ. But there's much more than that. It's not just access. It's not just that we have to go mm, access, you know, that's, that's one thing. But the scriptures actually say that we not just have access, that spiritually we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Am I making that up? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And here it is. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Spiritually, we are not here. Physically, we are here. Spiritually, we are joined with Christ and we're seated with him today in the heavenly places. You're having a bad day. This year has been really hard for for Janelle and I and it's been very hard for our family. When people ask me, how am I? I say, great. And I'm not lying. I am great. Why? Because I know there is one who sits on my behalf on the, on the throne and he listens to me. That is true and I can put absolute confidence in Jesus. See, whatever the, the circumstances will blow like the wind, happiness comes and go, good times, bad times. And in fact, what I've done is I, I no longer get particularly excited when good things happen. And I no longer get particularly down when things happen that aren't good. All I know is that my trust and my confidence is in God regardless of circumstances. And that to me is is when you start to grow in Christian maturity, when you can say, yes, this is not great, but I know one I can trust in. I can put my trust in Him. Why? It's because He's achieved all of these things for us. Since then, this is Colossians 3, 1-4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Paul is repeating it. We are now seated with Christ. We have been raised and we're now with Jesus in the heavenly places. Because of that, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. We've already said that and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And the last thing, so the second to last thing that happens when Jesus ascended into heaven is that Jesus priestly work of mediation and intercession continues in His heavenly session. Hebrews 4. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly. Don't get blown around. Don't let circumstances affect us. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This, or I could throw a because in there. Because this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. Why? Because He was a human being. So because of that, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And I've needed it a lot. And there hasn't been once when He hasn't provided it. Continuing to read, there were many priests under the whole old system for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, don't you love Bible Therefore, Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives, Jesus lives, today to intercede with God on our behalf. So who will condemn us? No one, for Jesus Christ died for us and was raised, for life to, uh, raised to life for us. And He is sitting at the, in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Here we have our Lord and Saviour sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Spirit of God who lives in us, takes our prayers and requests. In fact, the Bible says that the Spirit intercedes for us with deep groanings, that word's just inexpressible groanings, and takes all of our clumsiness, our bits of this and that, our problems, He takes it and brings it to Jesus who whispers in the ear of the Father and says, how about this? And the Father says, it's done, isn't it good? The last thing that Jesus accomplished for us will will, will culminate as when He returns, when He comes again. In the book of Acts, it says after Jesus, after He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as He was going, thinking, where are you going? I don't know. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven and Michael Bird. The certainty of Jesus' future parousia, which just means his return, is anchored in the reality of his ascension into heaven. Hence the words of the angels to the disciples, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Jesus will return in the same way. And more importantly, he is the same Jesus in the same mysterious way Jesus ascended into heaven. He will return to reign over the earth and consummate his kingdom. For Luke, the ascension and the return of Jesus belong together, not as two ends of one pole, but as one organic unity. As Robinson said, the ascension is the advance notice of the end. So one of the last things that happened as Jesus was ascending into heaven, I'm gonna come back the same way. You know, the return of Jesus is actually really simple. You don't have to look into the signs of the times and to read, you know, the dark web to find out who, when's Jesus coming and all the prophecy. When He comes, you will be aware of it. And I found that Christians sort of have gone off the, the they've gone onto all of these eschatological theologies. You know, some say this, some say this, some say that. So what I've done is I've formed a new theology on this and I'm calling it panmillennialism. It'll all pan out in the end. And, and so I'm just gonna sit there and I'm gonna work on the theory that when Jesus comes back, I'll notice. And that's good enough for me. So we're gonna conclude, and I'm gonna conclude with a reading out of Hebrews chapter 10, which is gonna summarize our message. And so dear brothers and sisters, that's us. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Because of that, let us hold tightly without wavering, regardless of what gets thrown at us, to the hope we affirm. Why? For God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage each other, encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Amen.